Hi, and welcome to the Country Hope Church podcast. We're based in regional Queensland with locations in Chinchilla, Gainda, Jandawi, and Meandara. We hope you enjoy this episode and we invite you to join us for a Sunday service. For full details, head to our website, www.countryhope.church. I, uh, I asked a few people in the last couple of days to give me a word that comes to mind when I say Jesus. How would you describe Jesus? And of course, you're going to get a whole lot of words. You get kind. He was kind. He was a great teacher. He was merciful. Uh, and you get saviour and healer and all these great words, great descriptors of who Jesus is. And it's who we as Christ followers want to become. It's what our preferred future is. I want to be someone who's kind. I want to be someone who's full of mercy. And all those descriptors that, that, that describe Jesus, that's who I want to be. There's an interesting passage in Luke 15 that gives an insight to Jesus' character that's actually astounding. It's one of the most shocking passages in the Gospels. I'll I'll read Luke 15, verses 1 to 3 from the Message Version. This is what it says. By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently to him. The Pharisees and the religious scholars were not pleased. They were not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. The New International Version puts it like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's so easy to read this passage in 21st century chinchilla and and miss the significance of what's going on here. So let me just paint the scene here. There's a couple of things that will help you understand why this passage is so shocking. Number one, Jesus was a rabbi. So that means he was a religious teacher of the day. It was his job to interpret scripture. And so people would come to the rabbi and they would be taught by him. And Jesus was a rabbi. He was a trained teacher. And not only was he a rabbi, he was the rabbi of the moment. So thousands of people used to gather to see what this, uh, this trained teacher, this rabbi, would, would bring. And rabbis were expected to behave in a certain way. They had a code of conduct, as it were, and they had to associate with the right sort of people. So they had a standard of behaviour and, and social status that they had to stick to. So that was Jesus the rabbi. Then the other people in the story are the sinners and the tax collectors that were there. They were the people who were considered to be cut off from God. They were the lowest in the strata of society there could be. So you had the upper echelon and then you had the general middle class and way down the bottom were the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They were the ones that were totally cut off from society. No one wanted to associate with them. And a rabbi in particular, he would not associate with those people ever. That was a a mortal um, uh, code of conduct violation for a rabbi to mix with these type of people. Then it says Jesus had a meal with them. I can't emphasize how shocking this actually is. It's not just having dinner. It's not just rolling up to his place, we'll go and we'll have dinner. This is actually something big in a community. When, uh, when a dinner was called like this, 
and it, was a, it would have been a big social thing as the rabbi came into town and people would have known, wanted to know who's he going to associate with, who's he going to have a meal with. And the meal would have happened in a, in a courtyard and people from town would have come and they would have looked in to see who was associating with Jesus. That's why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there. And it would have been a big spectacle. People would have got on Facebook to say, Jesus is coming into town, he's going to be at this place, let's see who he associates with. It would have gone viral in the community because to have a meal with someone... For Jesus to have a meal with someone, it would have meant, um, it would have implied his social status and who he mixed with would have, would have shown the type of people that he related to socially. And so they could have expected all the leaders of the, the town to be there. And so for Jesus to actually have a meal with sinners and tax collectors was a shocking thing because what it said was that Jesus was saying to the crowd, I associate with people of this status. I see myself as relevant to them, and I see myself as part of their status. And so it was an absolutely shocking thing for Jesus to do, to be with these people. It was no wonder the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were so put out by this, because here's Jesus now relating to the lowest in society and saying, I'm willing to associate with them, and I don't care who sees it. It was an absolutely shocking thing. And they said he takes sinners and eats meals with them and, and treats them like friends. He was actually called the worst insult you could ever get in that society. He was called a friend of sinners. The friend of sinners, Jesus. This is not the first time he'd done it. In Matthew 9, we read that he had uh, a big meal with, with tax collectors in town and if you read about Zacchaeus and, and his tax collector mates, Jesus had a meal with them. And throughout the Gospels, you'll read of Jesus associating with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and eating with them. And it just wasn't done. You weren't supposed to do this. So why was he doing it? Why was he doing something absolutely shocking in society and breaking hundreds of years of tradition and mixing with the wrong people and breaking all the social norms? Why did he do it? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. This is his answer to why he did something so shocking. He told them a story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the, and go into the wilderness and search for the one that is lost and search until he finds it? And when he has found it, will he joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? And when he arrives, will he call together all his friends and neighbours saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep? In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't even strayed away. He wanted to emphasise this point. He wanted to emphasise this point so much that he told two more parables. He told the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the prodigal son. And you can read them for yourself. They're powerful, uh, they're powerful pa parables. Jesus went out searching for the broken, for the lonely for the hurting, for the grieving, for those that weren't part of regular society, for those that were considered cut off from God, he went looking for them and associated with them. Here's the problem I have with a passage like this, because I see it and I see Jesus' behaviour and I know 2,000 years later that has implications for me because I see Jesus as a friend of sinners reaching to lost people, I know that has implications for me. And when I read this, I literally think, 
to be a follower of Christ is to be a friend of sinners. What a shocking thing that is. Just pause and think about that statement for a moment. I want to be a friend of sinners. I want to be the person that reaches the broken, the hurting, the grieving, those without hope, those who are, are going through a time of darkness and loneliness, those who could be considered cut off from God. I want to reach those people because it's what Christ did. Why would I do that? Why would I reach people like that? Because the misfits and the lonely, the grieving, the hurting, the lost, they matter to God. They matter to him. And Jesus was doing it because they matter. Look at what he says here. If a man has a hundred sheep and just one of them gets lost, what will he do? Why don't he leave the 99 and go out into the wilderness and go searching for the one that is lost until he finds it? Lost people matter to God. God actually cries over lost people. When you read in the, in the Gospels about Jesus when he wept over Jerusalem, he saw that they were lost and hopeless and hurting and lonely and he wept over them. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Luke 4 says, God's spirit is on me. This is Jesus speaking. He's chosen me to preach the message of the good news to the poor. He sent me to announce pardon for prisoners and recovery sight for the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce that God's time is here and it's time to shine. He died for the lost. Lost people matter to God. Now, fast forward to Chinchilla in 2023. Lost people matter to God. My family members, my neighbours, my work colleagues, the checkout chicks I encounter at Drake's, the school students, the ones I encounter down the street, those that are hurting and lonely and without hope and grieving, God weeps over them. And so as a Christ follower, as someone who loves God, my response should be how to weep. My response should be to weep over them. Then I think of the question, when was the last time I wept over the lost in Chinchilla? Because that's what I should be doing as a Christ follower. It's interesting, Jesus said there, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that gets saved than over 99 others that have a cracking church service. That's an interesting statement. And then I think, what's my role as a Christian? And I love church. I, I go to church every Sunday. Uh, I love church. I love worshipping. I love this service. But unless it's combined with a heart that weeps over the lost and goes out to find them and rejoices when one is saved, then I've got an imbalance in my life. He wept over the lost. The second implication I find in this story is I must do something about it. Jesus went and had a meal with the sinners and tax collectors. Like I said before, there's so much loaded into that sentence. He was breaking just about every social norm he possibly could. Why? To build a relationship with people. And as he ate with them, he was saying, I care about you, I care about your needs, I care about where you've come from. I'm not talking down to you, I'm not judging you. I'm going out of my way to show you that I care deeply about you and that you are important to me and you are worth something. Now, this was a thing that a lot of these people had never heard before, especially from an important person like Jesus. You are worth something, and I care about you. He deliberately went out of his comfort zone to meet them at their level to build relationship with them. 
In the parables, he says, he goes out and he searches. There's a deliberate action there to go out. Look what it says in this passage. By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently to what he had to say. It's interesting that Jesus went out. He met with them. He built relationship with them. He associated with them. He showed them that they had worth. And then in response... They listened intently to him. I find this pattern here, that as I build relationship with the hurting, the grieving, the loss, those are cut off from God, as I show them that they are worth something, I then earn the right to speak into their life and they will be willing to listen intently to what I have to say. It's no good speaking down to people who you don't really know. It's no good preaching to people that you have no relationship with. Instead, our job as Christians is to build relationship with people so that a trust is built and then see them listening intently to what we have to say. This is Jesus at his shocking best. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And as a follower of Christ, this is what I'm called to do. When I read this story, I always think about what the sinners and tax collectors were thinking. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were cranky. The sinners and the tax collectors, they would have been filled with hope and they would have, it would have been mind-blowing to think that Jesus, the amazing rabbi, is associating with me. And imagine the hope that began to, be, began to build in their life and the sense that there is something better in God because of what Jesus is doing. If I'm going to be a true follower of Christ, I've got to be a friend of sinners. And I've got to be brokenhearted about the lost people around me in my town. And I've got to deliberately take steps to meet with them, to associate with them, to build relationship, to show that I care. And I've got to earn the right to speak into their lives rather than preaching at them so that they listen intently to what I've got to say. And that's simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. Why don't we as a church do that well sometimes? Complacency is one reason. Uh, we just don't let the plight of people around us affect us. We just have a great time in church and in small groups and whatever we do. And a starting point is, God, what breaks your heart and you weep over? May it break my heart. That's a dangerous prayer. If you pray that every day for the next two weeks, God, what breaks your heart in my community here? What breaks your heart? Let it break mine. It changes your perspective on the people around you. Complacency, the comfort zone. We're comfortable with people like us. I read a survey once said if you've been going to church for at least eight years, generally the people you associate with now are all church people. There's no one outside that group unless they're your immediate family members. And so we have a responsibility to go out and start building relationship with people who mightn't be like us to, to earn the right to speak into their life. You might say, well, it's not my thing to do that. It's not my thing. I'm not capable of doing that sort of thing. I can't do it. I'll tell you what you can do. You can support our chaplains who are on the cutting edge of doing that. We all have our role to play in doing this. We're called as a Christian community in Chinchilla to be a friend of those who are broken. When that kids thing was up there today, just before and the little... I was nearly crying on the front row as I began to think of the names of people who I have friendship with, 
who have broken hearts that need healing. And only Jesus Christ can do it. And I began to... It just moves me. There's a responsibility for me as well. This concept of going out, of reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel. I've been going into the state school system doing RI. This is my 28th year when I start this year. And part of that journey for me has been to see what our chaplains do in our school system and see the way that they reach broken people, the grieving, the hurting, those without hope, those with dysfunction, those that maybe the rest of society shuns, those lonely people. Quite often our chaplains are first responders in times of emergency. And they are literally every day doing what Jesus modelled in this parable. They are meeting with the broken, with the lost. When I think of Lee Muller at the state school and I've seen her, the work that she does, and it's mind-blowing to me. Most people don't have an understanding of the type of families and people that she meets with to bring healing and hope every day. It's astounding. Taniri at the high school. We've got a whole big mission field there at the high school that is an incredible challenge for Tan, and we need to support her in that. Claire Valor at John Dowie, uh, and also she's at the Christian College as well, along with Tom Dalton, who's in charge of the, uh, the pastoral care there, and then Olivia Wales and Jen Lennox, who are chaplains there as well as Claire, and Ruth Lindsay at Allura. Now, it's not a it's not a kid's chaplain thing, it's an end-of-life chaplain thing that she's doing and she's got such an important role to play as a chaplain there and they're amazing and we honour them. But more than just honour them with our minds, we need to support them with our hearts because they are on the cutting edge every day going out and meeting with the lost, the broken, those that are grieving, those that have no hope. Every day... And so it's my responsibility as a Christian in my community to support them in what they do. I have no choice. I must support them because it's Jesus' heart. It's what he wants for me to do. So how can I support them? How can I, as a member of our Christian community here in Chinchilla, support them? I can pray. And the first person I pray for is myself. And I pray, God, break my heart. Make me aware of the lost people around me. And I'm starting to tear up a bit now. But pr- I pray that my heart would break over the lost people I see. And I wouldn't see people as just community people or just this. Or j- but I would see them as people without hope and broken who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And they need to know my friendship. And they need to know that I care for them. And so my first prayer is, God, break my heart like your heart is broken. May I weep over the people in my community that don't know Christ and don't know hope. That's my first prayer. My second prayer is for our chaplains. And like I said, I've been working beside chaplains for nearly 30 years in the state school system. You would not believe the situations that they face as they deal with people who suffer grief and death, as they deal with families with dysfunction. And it's not just kids they deal with, it's whole families as they turn up to the funerals of suicide victims, as they, as they do stuff that we, I can't even imagine. And I pray for them every day, God, give them wisdom, give them courage, give them open doors, and may they be able to build relationship so that the people they minister to listen intently to what they say. And so as a bare minimum, as a member of this community, my challenge is to pray for our chaplains every day. 
and pray that I would have an open heart. I can also support them financially. And I stand here unashamedly today asking for your financial support. Chaplains, I tell you what, they get paid very little. They get paid nowhere near what they are worth to our community. And it's up to our Christian community to keep funding the chaplaincy program. And I know to a great extent we've, we've relied on government donations and government funding, and that's fantastic. But really, as a Christian community, we should be able to support our chaplains with, in the state school with Tan and with um, Lee and with Claire. This is our job as Christians to reach the broken. And, and if I can't do it myself to the way that they can, I can support them financially. So go out and buy five burgers today. Do whatever you can. Give. Because this is right on the cutting edge of missions in our town. This is an amazing work. And Jesus, Jesus modelled what it's like to belong to his kingdom. An aspect of that is to reach the lost, is to go out, leave the 99 behind and search until I find the lost. Now, I have a personal responsibility in that. And so I do that to the best of my ability without judging people or preaching down to them. I seek to build friendships and to be able to speak into their life. That's my personal responsibility. But I also have a responsibility as a Christian here to support the amazing work that the chaplains do. And I do that prayerfully every day. And I also do that financially. It's the least that I can do as a follower of Christ to go out there and to make a difference. One of the things that I think about is when I get to heaven, how many of the sinners and tax collectors in Luke 15 will be there? They were considered to be cut off from God with no hope of ever getting to heaven back in the day. I wonder how many of them, as they listened intently to Jesus, I wonder how many of them will be in heaven one day when I get there. I also wonder how many kids, older people, people from our community will be in heaven because of what the chaplains do in our schools and in Allura. How many of them will come to know Jesus Christ and the hope that's in him because of what our chaplains do on the cutting edge of missions work? I think we'll be surprised at who's there because of our support for chaplaincy and I have a role in that. I not only support it with my brain, I support it with my heart. And that means I support it with my wallet as well. Chaplains, our chaplains, I can't speak highly enough of our chaplains, the ones in the Christian college, the ones in the state school system, and we have an amazing window at the moment. Who knows how long that will last, that we're able to have chaplains in the state school system. While we do, I will do everything I can support my chaplains prayerfully, financially, and I will pray, God, break my heart. May I weep for the people around me. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the Christian community I belong to here in Chinchilla. As I look around today and I see people from all the churches joined together, my heart sings that we can join united and we can worship God together. But as we focus on chaplaincy in particular in the Christian college and at John Dowie and Chinchilla State School and Chinchilla High School, my heart is challenged. My heart is challenged for the vast mission field that I see there. And I pray for wisdom and blessing and insight 
on our chaplains as they do their work. I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that as the huge load they take, that it wouldn't be a burden to them and weigh them down because I'm praying for them and I'm helping them and I'm encouraging them in any way I can, Lord. Lord, may, may I take responsibility to see this vital mission field, uh, people one for Christ and given hope because of my support for chaplaincy. And Lord, I pray for every Christian here who's from Chinchilla. I pray that our hearts would break for those who have no hope and that we would weep over the lost and it would be the catalyst for change in our life and we'd see this mission field one to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Country Hope Church podcast and that this episode blessed you. If you've got any questions or prayer requests, please don't hesitate to contact us through our email, connect at countryhope.church. If you'd like to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, we hope to see you either online or in person at some point soon.